Chapter 5 of St. Joseph of Copertino. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Aaron Stone. St. Joseph of Copertino by Rev. Angelo Pastorovici. Translated by Rev. Francis S. Lang. Chapter 5 Good Odor of Christ. These ecstasies and flights were, no doubt, effects of the divine love which burned in the heart of our saint and evidenced the union of his soul with God. Father Jerome Rodriguez, a pious and learned priest of the Society of Jesus, once said after conversing with Joseph, He is perfectly united to God, and his heart is more disposed to this union than powder is to be ignited by the smallest spark. This union was fostered by and found expression in continued prayer. Almost without effort, the saint raised his spirit to God, whom he found ready to enlighten and inflame him, and to draw him toward himself. It was as if, in looking towards heaven, he saw the beauty of paradise spread out before his eyes. As he once said to Cardinal Brancati, speaking as of a third person, it appeared to him as if he were in the midst of a large gallery filled with beautiful and rare objects, and saw in a bright mirror hanging there, at a single glance, the forms of all things, and could with certainty pronounce the hidden mysteries which it pleased God to reveal to him while this sublime union lasted. His customary cry was an effect of the inner fire which could not be confined to his breast, but forcibly broke forth from his lips as he himself said, though again as of a third person, like to powder proceeding from the cannon's mouth, causing a loud report. This great vehemence often raised with the soul the body and any object he happened to have hold of. He even sang and danced during these joyful ecstasies. By reason of his abstraction from earthly things, the saint often did not understand what others said to him, or gave answers which plainly showed that he used natural things only as a ladder to mount to the contemplation of the supernatural. Once, on a journey, he met several women, and when a religious asked him whether he recognized them, he replied, they were perhaps the Blessed Virgin, St. Clair, and St. Catherine. Other times, when asked regarding other persons, he mentioned various saints. He was very attentive when reciting the canonical hours or saying his prayers, as is evinced by his many tears and the impression of his knees at the foot of the altar and on the floor of his oratory. He prayed with lively faith and firm hope in God and said to others, Children, trust in God alone, for God alone can provide for you. Men fail, God never fails. And again, he who has faith is Lord of the earth. As to himself, he said that he trusted in God, and that he was like a man cast by accident on an ocean reef, where, surrounded by water, he could expect no help but from God alone. If necessary, he would remove mountains in the strength of his faith, from one end of the earth to the other. This lively faith it was that rendered his prayers effective. He once prayed that Copertino and its territory be spared in a severe storm, and the hurricane ceased at once. At another time he prayed while a heavy downpour of rain frightened the inhabitants and threatened the vicinity of the convent at Gratella, when, after his prayer, 
he ran out of the church and cried, Dragon! Dragon! The clouds fled before him, and the sky cleared. Once, when the heat of the sun had parched the fields near the same place, a procession was held to implore aid, and, as the saint had foretold, a plentiful rain fell immediately after. It was owing to Joseph's prayers that Alcide Fabiani, a surgeon, passed unnoticed six assassins who sought to waylay him on his return from Spello to Assisi. By his prayer he saved the father-general of his order from the danger of drowning in a deep trench, called Canara, near the village of Montefalco. The father, with his frightened mule, had fallen from a bridge, and in falling had commended himself to Joseph, who was then still living. On seeing the father-general later, the saint said to him, Certainly, my dear father-general, you were in great peril, for you had a dangerous fall at ten o'clock, just as I was saying mass, and I prayed to God for you. The efficacy of his prayers is strikingly shown in the conversion to the Catholic faith of a Lutheran prince, John Friedrich, Duke of Brunswick. While visiting the principal courts of Europe in the year 1649, the prince, then twenty-five years of age, came from Rome to Assisi expressly to see Joseph, of whose fame he had heard in Germany. On his arrival at the monastery, he was given lodging in the rooms reserved for persons of rank and, as he wished to speak with Joseph and then continue his journey, he, with two of his retainers, one a Catholic, the other a Protestant, was led next morning to the door of the chapel, where the servant of God was saying Mass. The saint, who was not informed of their presence, was made aware of it when about to break the sacred host, which he found so hard that, in spite of all of his efforts, he could not break it, but had to replace it on the paten. Fixing his eyes upon the host, he wept and with a loud cry rose in kneeling posture about five paces into the air. With another cry he returned after some time to the altar and broke the sacred host, though with great effort. At the instance of the duke, the father superior asked him why he had wept, and he replied, My dear compatriot, the persons whom you sent to my mass this morning have a hard heart, for they do not believe all the Holy Mother teaches, and therefore the Lamb of God was hardened in my hands, so that I could not break the sacred host. The Duke, astonished at this occurrence, deferred his departure in order to consult with the servant of God. This he did after dinner, remaining with the saint till Compline. Moved by divine grace, the Duke wished again to assist at Holy Mass on the following day. At the elevation, the cross on the host appeared black to all present, and the saint, with his usual cry, was raised up a palm from the floor, and remained about a quarter of an hour in this position, elevating the host. On seeing this miracle, the duke wept, but his companion, the Lutheran, said angrily, Cursed be the hour in which I came to this country, for at home I was much more at peace and now my conscience is tormented by the furies of doubt. Joseph, enlightened from above, assured one of his friends of the future conversion of the prince in the following words, Let us be of good cheer, the deer is wounded. The prince conversed with Joseph till midday. On seeing the duke return to his cell after vespers, the saint hurried toward him, girded him with his girdle, 
and said with great fervor, For paradise I bind you. Go, venerate St. Francis, assist at Compline, follow with devotion in the procession, and do all as you see the friars do. The prince humbly obeyed, promised to become a Catholic, and with his own hand inscribed himself in the register of the Arkin fraternity of the court of St. Francis. Before publicly abjuring hearsay, he returned home to arrange his affairs. The following year he came to Assisi, and, as he had promised, knelt before the Blessed Sacrament, and in the presence of Cardinals Facanetti and Rapaccioli, made professions of faith in the hands of Father Joseph. Ever after, the Duke remained devoted to his benefactor. Very numerous are the miracles God wrought through the intercession of his servant Joseph. We will content ourselves with adding these words from the process of beatification. His prayer was never in vain, but always obtained what he implored for the welfare of the soul and body. Even those who merely commended themselves to him received the desired favor at the moment he prayed for them. Knowing that all good comes of prayer and wishing his neighbor all good, he frequently exhorted others by saying, Pray, pray. Joseph's charity was such that he prayed without ceasing for all men, for the just, that they might persevere in God's grace, and for sinners, that they might amend their life and do penance. To render his prayer effective, he would at times implore God to bear, as with the past, so, too, with the present sins of the world. At other times he would severely chastise his body to make atonement, in some measure, for the sins of others. When others recommended themselves to his prayers, he would kindly reply, Take refuge to God, and I, on my part, will not fail to pray for you. When such as were troubled with doubts came to him, he repeated to them the words, Scruples and melancholy I tolerate not in my house. After counseling and comforting them, he would in such cases jestingly take a broom, sweep them from head to foot, and say, See, I have taken all scruples from your back. Do good, have a pure intention, and cast off all doubts. Whenever he heard or saw of dissension, he was very desirous to put an end to it, and usually succeeded in restoring peace. His conversation was unaffected, yet so interesting that he captivated the hearts of all who heard him. It was his wish that all should be upright and gentle in their intercourse. He detested deceit, pride, and ostentation, and exhorted all, even his superiors, to compassion, gentleness, and love. He frequently repeated such sayings as, Love, O oh love, he who has love is rich and knows it not, who has not love has nothing, he is unhappy without knowing it, love and charity make for happiness. On seeing anyone perform an act of charity, he rejoiced, and would even embrace such a person, as he once did a religious who had put an end to a dissension between certain persons by pacifying their anger. He said to him, God bless you, my dear son. May St. Francis bless you, for you have acted as a true son of his. This tender charity he recommended to others and practiced himself, even towards those who offended him. One who had insulted him was rewarded by a miracle. Another, who had wounded him with a knife because of reproof, 
he won by gentleness and forbearance, at the same time advising him of his approaching end. Yet another, who was on the point of attacking him in anger, he tenderly embraced. Another fruit of his charity was his zeal. In the monastery he severely reprimanded those who transgressed the rule, and admonished his superiors to be vigilant. Sometimes he impetuously approached and reproved the transgressors, as once at Assisi, on seeing two persons engaged in vain discord in the Basilica of St. Francis. The saint sought to heal the secret wounds of the soul, which he knew by heavenly enlightenment. Thus he freed Alfonso of Montefuscolo from temptations against chastity, which beset him, and, at Copertino, induced a lady of Vigil to burn a charm she was making. A person of distinction once brought to him a young nobleman who was in a state of mortal sin. The saint said, Who is this Moor whom you have brought to me? Do you not see that he is black? Then he turned to the nobleman and said, Go, my son, and wash your face. When the man returned to him after a contrite confession, Joseph said, Now, my son, you are beautiful. Wash yourself frequently. Yesterday you were ugly as a moor. To everyone whose soul he saw disfigured by sin, he said, Oh, how ugly you are! Go, adjust your bow. By this latter expression he meant their conscience. As Joseph with Christian candor revealed their faults to those who had fallen into sin, that they might repent, so he kindly cared for those who were in danger of falling, or were tempted. A priest of Spello, who was about to sully his soul by committing a grievous sin, experienced the effects of Joseph's charity. Beset by a severe temptation, and in imminent danger of consenting, it was his good fortune to meet the saint, who pressed his hand and kindly said to him, My son, resist this temptation with courage, for it is God's will that you offend him not. This I say to you in earnest. By this singular admonition he assisted the priest to conquer. Those who were tempted by evil spirits he advised to receive the sacraments frequently. For, said he, where God dwells, the enemy of God cannot easily approach, and in the long run, God always conquers, because by his grace he can do more than the devil by temptations. The charity of our hero was not restricted to the faithful, whom he would lead to God, but reached out to infidels. He spoke with great tenderness and compassion of their unhappy state, and would gladly have undertaken anything for their conversion. It happened that once, when praying for them and meditating on the inscrutable mysteries of the divine providence, he was enraptured for a long time. On coming to himself, he wept bitterly and said to those about him, My children, pray for the just and the sinners, pray for the heretics, Turks, and infidels, in short, pray for all for we are all redeemed by the most precious blood of Jesus Christ. His charity extended also, as far as obedience would permit, to the bodily needs of his fellowmen. Even in the seclusion of his cell, he knew by divine enlightenment of their wants and aided them by his prayer. Where he had full liberty to act, he hastened to the aid of the sick within and without the monastery, 
admonished them to rein themselves to the will of God, and cheered them by words of good counsel. With joyful countenance he would kindly say to such as feared death, or were sad for other reasons, Be of good cheer, God will provide for you. He was ever ready to render them the most humble services. He lifted them up, fed them, and bandaged their wounds. In short, his love for the sick was so great that his fellow religious were accustomed to say, It were better to be sick than to be well when with Joseph, as in the former case he lived only for the sick, in the latter case only for himself. His charity towards the sick was, moreover, so pleasing to God that he glorified the saint by miraculous cures. The affection of his tender heart was manifested, especially during a disastrous famine in Assisi and the adjoining provinces. He wept and prayed without ceasing to implore aid from God, and, as he was not allowed to beg for the support of the hungry outside the monastery, he anxiously went about within the precincts of the convent to comfort and cheer at least his spiritual brethren. Gratitude prompted him, in view of his poverty, to reward his benefactors by thanking and blessing them, by praying for and promising ever to remember them. Once he spoke winningly to a surgeon who had rendered him aid, Be blessed for the great kindness you have shown me. God will reward you for it, and I will not forget to pray for you when I shall come to the abode of the blessed. Joseph's gratitudes towards the Blessed Virgin Mary, whose intercession he ascribed all benefits he received from God, was most extraordinary. He sought to show her a love in which none could be more tender and deep. In infancy his mother instilled into him devotion towards Mary. He was accustomed to call Mary his mother. It is difficult to tell how eagerly he served and honored her. He adorned her images with flowers and devoted the most fervent affections of his heart to her. He was wont to say jestingly, My mother is very strange. If I bring her flowers, she says she does not want them. If I bring her cherries, she will not take them. And if I ask what she desires, she replies, I desire thy heart, for I live on hearts. That his heart belonged to Mary was apparent from the continued devout prayers which he recited in her honor and the tender words he applied to her, calling her his protectress, lady, patroness, mother, and helper, from the simple and joyful songs with which he extolled her, and especially from the frequent ecstasies and flights which he experienced when he saw her image or heard her praises. Once, when the litany of Our Lady was being prayed in the church, he flew over six fellow religious at the words, Holy Mary. At other times, such flights occurred at the words, Holy Mother of God, Mother of Divine Grace, Gate of Heaven. Even on hearing the name of Mary, he was often enraptured and lifted from the ground. His heart melted at the thought of the beauty of the Queen of Heaven. One day, while he was saying Mass, many persons saw him enraptured and lifted into the air and heard him exclaim with tears in his eyes, Praise her, ye holy angels, with your psalms, for I pine away because I cannot worthily praise her. 
not satisfied that Mary should be loved and praised by all the saints and angels of paradise, he most earnestly desired that she be loved and praised by all men on earth. Some citizens of Copertino once came to the monastery at Grotella to visit him. Why have you come? he said to them. Do you wish to visit Our Lady? When they replied in the affirmative, he continued, And what have you brought? They replied, The office and the rosary. What office? What rosary? he asked, for he knew well they had come out of curiosity. My lady wishes more. She desires the heart and the will. By these words he inflamed their hearts with love for Mary, and, bidding them kneel, prayed the litany with them, as he was accustomed to do with all who came to his cell. He also admonished all to repeat often the words, Mary, thou refuge of sinners, mother of God, be mindful of me. This ejaculatory prayer, he said, pleased the Blessed Virgin very much because she is justly called refuge of sinners. Joseph sought to honor the Mother of God by the frequent recital of the praises contained in the litany of Loretto. Once, when the shepherds with whom he prayed the litany each Saturday in a chapel near the monastery at Grotella were hindered from coming, he called with a loud voice to the sheep which he could see from afar, Come hither to revere the Mother of your God and my God. At these words the sheep which were so far distant from Joseph that his voice could not have reached them, ran towards the chapel, without regarding the cries of the shepherd boys, and when they had come to the chapel, the saint joyfully began the litany. The animals replied in their own way to each praise which he uttered, so that, for instance, when he said, Holy Mary, all cried, Bah! and in this manner completed the litany. On receiving the saint's blessing, they gambled back to their pastures. The servant of God had acquired such confidence in his heavenly mother that by reciting the litany he was able to exercise devils and free the possessed. In serious dissensions he reconciled the litigants by saying to them, Let us go to mother, to mother, in the name of the mother of God, to whom he ascribed all good, he frequently promised to work miracles, and occasionally wrought them without delay. Thus he once cured a blind woman by touching her eyes and saying, May the mother of God restore you to health. The vicar general of Nardo was unwilling to bless the three crosses which Joseph had erected near Grotella because of the great heat, but acceded to the entreaties of the saint when he said, My mother will not let you feel the heat. Although the solemnity lasted three and one-half hours, and the vicar-general were a cope, he did not feel the least discomfort from the broiling sun. At times Joseph's mother, who was poor, came to seek his aid. To her he said, The Madonna is my mother. I have nothing because I am poor. Take refuge to the Madonna. She will provide for you. In very deed, she always gave opportune aid in some mysterious way. To a priest who was confined to bed by ulcers, he said, Do not lose courage. How long is it since you were at Grotella to see your mother? Alas, replied the sick man, do you not see in what condition I am, and that I can hardly move? 
the servant of god then bandaged his wounds and stroked them saying have you no confidence in your mother at the same moment the ulcers dried up and healed and soon the priest recovered fully another priest hesitated to pray for a particular grace the saint seeing the cause of his doubt said to him take refuge to mary she will hear you the prayer was heard at another time the saint opened the lips of a dying man and as he gave him a certain liquid to drink asked him do you feel better now the man replied yes and joseph continued then say nothing about me to any one but rather say the mother of god who is your mother and mine has made you well to be brief joseph's holiness began as he himself attested with devotion to mary the fame of his holiness was likewise due to the many graces which people received from mary because of his prayer during his whole life our saint called the blessed virgin mother and in dying he invoked her by that sweet name in the words of the ave marius stella show thyself a mother offer him our sighs who for us incarnate did not thee despise end of chapter five